Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. And Tim, today we're talking about the comeback school. What does it look like to come back well? Um, It's been a pretty difficult last year or so. Yeah, or 16 months. Or 16 months for uh, all of us. But I think especially I think about parents and I think about teachers in this time. Those are two categories of folks. And today we want to talk to teachers about uh, what does it look like to do this well. But I I thought an interesting way to start might be you actually read some headlines recently that I think uh, sort of illuminate to us where we want to go with this conversation. Yeah, so I did read these just recently, and and I want to just relay them now to, for our listeners to hear. So the headlines were pretty dramatic. Schools debate on whether to shut down or stay open. Uh, students struggle with quarantine boundaries. Children and teachers are expected to wear masks as infections continue to soar. Yeah. Now, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Did you know those headlines were from the Spanish flu in 1918, over 100 years ago? That's crazy. Yeah. So the similarities are uncanny. Yeah. Uh, Much like what's happened most of this last year, most U.S. schools closed during the 1918 influenza pandemic. I think everybody's read about that uh, from 100 years ago, and some comparisons were made. But with few exceptions, their doors were shut for up to four months. This sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Uh, And what I love most about this story is that when the pandemic ended in April of 1920, educators and parents viewed schools a bit differently, more holistically, you might say. So it wasn't just reading, writing, arithmetic. We realized we have to do, they didn't call it this, but social-emotional learning. We've got to do something more for these young people than just get them through this, the academic subjects. Yep. So by that time, people realized there was more to a successful life than reading, writing, arithmetic, and society was opening up again, and students would need to adapt to a new world. This is crazy how deja vu it is. It truly is, yeah. Everything that you're saying is exactly the conversations we've been having as we're sitting with uh, teachers and visiting yeah. schools. They're asking these kinds of questions. Yeah, so historian Mary Battenfield reminds us, and I quote, Reformers of that period, known as the Progressive Era, took that notion to heart. In addition to school nurses, they added some school nurses, which we still have to this day. Not the same nurses, but a new route, Mm -hmm. yes. Uh, They established school lunch programs, they built playgrounds, and promoted outdoor education, all of which we now say, oh yeah, that's a normal part of school. Well, we learned it from a pandemic where we realized we got to de- get these kids outside, and we yeah. got to get them moving. we got to do more. Yeah, that's right. So also during this time, laws were introduced to both protect and prepare kids for the world that awaited them. Legislation attacked, and I quote, societal barriers to child health and welfare by enacting child labor laws. We've all heard of those from a century ago. Uh, making school attendance compulsory. Now, wasn't huh. that... Up until that point, it, well, you know, you send your kid. If, you know, if it works out, send your kid. Yeah, it's even hard to imagine that yeah. reality. But yeah, some kids had chores, and that kept them from going to school or whatever. Yeah. So at this time, uh, or just yeah, but right about this time, President Woodrow Wilson, who by the way was an educator, he he was president of Princeton University, right, and became president of the United States during 1918. He called it the Children's Year. Huh? Isn't that interesting? Schools pivoted in response to not only offer academic lessons, but food, health care, and a philosophy of life students would need in the aftermath of a pandemic. Huh. And, and, and my opinion is we need to borrow a, play, a page from the playbook 
of, of 100 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that the truth? And, and really, this is our, our message to teachers is we're, we would all say we've been through tough times, right? But what we have to recognize is, I think in some ways, it might even be fair to say, it is the responsibility of leaders yeah. on the other side of a really tough season like we've been through to recognize that we've got to make some changes in the mindset that we're yeah. approaching uh, yeah. our students with. You know, Andrew, you and I have had a number of virtual focus groups with students over the last year, and I think I heard more than once from a student, well, I like my teacher and everything, or I like my coach and everything, but he didn't know how to talk about this. He, he didn't know how to talk about anything yeah. but, but math or baseball or whatever, you know, you fill in the blank. And the students were begging the teachers to be human. Yeah. And they wanted to be seen as humans, like asking first before they say, did you get the homework assignment done? Are you guys okay? Yeah, just checking um, in emotionally. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So um, I think what will help both educators and students in the aftermath of today's COVID-19 pandemic is a sense of purpose and meaning. Yeah. And teachers, I'm very aware that's not what you signed up for when you <laughs> yeah. started your career. That's not math, You're right? not supposed that's to what... be a a counselor or a chaplain or a coach or a motivational speaker or yeah. a whatever, but they're going to need you to be that. Yeah. I hope you heard what I just said. It's broader than just your job description to teach this textbook that you got. Our focus must be more than academics. Uh, was this last year and a half a blip on the radar screen, or can we identify meaning and assign purpose uh, in it to our lives? Yeah. Can we let this, and I've said it before, I'm going to say it again, can we let this interruption become an introduction to a better way to approach education, just like Woodrow Wilson and the school systems of 100 years ago. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So we've talked about this from a philosophical standpoint, but there's actually some research. Specifically, yeah. there's a uh, psychoanalyst who gave sort of a, a roadmap or a framework for how to understand what kids really need in moments like this. So do you want to walk us through that? Absolutely. So um, there's a, an author that I bet you have read after if you were a psychology major or an education major. Yes. Psychoanalyst Eric Erickson is widely viewed as an influential voice in child development. Uh, I learned so much from him and inserted some of his stuff in my book, uh, 12 Huge Mistakes Parents Can Avoid. So he wrote a groundbreaking, uh, groundbreaking book, pardon me, in, in the 1950s called Childhood and Society. And in this book, he describes um, a handful of principal crises that confront people over the course of their lives. And in adolescence, yeah. there are three. And I want to just rapidly do these because, listeners, this is going to make what we say afterwards is going to make a lot of sense if you understand these three crises yeah. that teenagers go through, according to Eric Erickson. Absolutely. Okay? So we're, if we apply these crises to the global pandemic we're going through, all of a sudden that's going to give us a whole lot of context. So really the first one is the challenge of identity formation. Yeah. Um, every young person must form a persona that fits comfortably with their desires, their strengths, and their aspirations. Uh, it's got to be noted, however, according to Erickson, that this identity formation doesn't happen in a vacuum. Right. Okay, you don't just say, I want to be an artist, or I want to do this or that. No, it's got to fit who you are. Yeah. So it must make sense to the surrounding community and to what's inside of a, of a teen. Um, a teen establishes a healthy sense of self when they take into account that they are both unique individuals and also social creatures. And that's what Erickson makes so clear. So just know, teachers, regardless of what you're teaching, your teenager that's in front of you, that middle school or high school student, or even college student, 
is really in the midst of the challenge of identity formation. And it'd be safe to say that that identity formation is going to happen as a combination of their own personal personality and strengths and what's going on in the world around yeah. them, right? Yeah. The needs of their community. And so uh, will this have an effect in their identity formation? Absolutely. No doubt. Yeah. This pandemic will always be a major chapter in their youth, yes. in, their, in their life, you yeah. know, just... I remember that year, yeah. So my question at the end of this one is, are you ready to help your students progress toward a healthy sense of identity? Yeah. The second crisis uh, Erickson talks about is the consolidation of a sense of intimacy. Now, I know that's a word that's got many, many definitions, so let me give you the healthy definition Erickson had in mind. The second crisis for young adults is to discover how they fit into the most important relationships of mm, their lives. Yes. So certainly family, close friends, extended family, um, as they mature toward adulthood, uh, they no longer merely copy others like they did when they were younger children. They begin to form unique connections to others, inside jokes, specific vocabulary, and personal histories. And we all remember when we were younger, this happened to us as well. We had that click that we were part of, or those two clicks we were part of. And um, this all has to happen. And by the way, the thing I noticed in teenage years is you do start pushing back on the traditional stuff you got from mom and dad. Yep. You start noticing, wait, Jessica gets, gets to stay out till midnight. How come I have to come in at 11? You know, those, yep. and you go, since when do you question me? Well, since I became a teenager. Yeah. You know, that's exactly it's what happens. It's a natural part of the process. Yeah, that's yeah. right. What is really interesting is the, the effect that a global pandemic is going to have, right? There's not an inside joke about the pandemic, but there's uh, <laughs> yeah. several inside conversations, right? Yeah. This is forever going to be the generation of kids who were there, who went yeah. through high school or went through college during that moment. And it will, like you said, be a conversation and a part of their identity moving forward. Yep. So I bet you. There's some schools that are doing time capsules. They'll bury in the ground, and a mask is going to go in that time capsule oh, I am from sure. 2020, 2021. Yeah. Remember when we had to wear those? <laughs> That's all the right. Time? Remember yeah. those things? Oh, kids, you don't remember this. We had to wear these masks in school. You yeah. know that. We may not say it exactly like that. I was about that, to say, yeah, yeah, that might be for somebody from 100 years ago. That's right. Yes. So the question on number two is: Are you ready to help your students progress toward meaningful relationships? Yeah. Not just collegiality in a classroom. Uh, the, the third uh, crisis that Erickson talks about is the issue of generativity versus stagnation. Now, here's what he means by this. The battle that teenagers have inside is between generativity, which means I will generate or produce something for others, mm -hmm. or stagnation. I will live for myself and only serve myself. And yeah. does that not sound like the battle in every teenager today? Absolutely. Do I see a selfie alone or a landscape yeah. <laughs> picture? You know, where yeah. I see the bigger picture. And that's what's hard. And this is the battle. They want to do more. And thank God we hear stories all the time of teenagers that do find a way to help the needy, those healthcare workers, those elderly people that don't have food. But by the same token, boy, it's so easy to just get caught up in ourselves and our own survival, quite yeah, frankly, yeah. right now. Our world of technology and social media allows for both of these things to happen, right? Yeah. It gives us both access and the ability to take more selfies and focus on ourselves more, but it also opens us up to the information that the world has um, uh, to, to offer us. And so we have the ability to see a wider perspective. Yeah. So again, the uh, our technology allows for both to happen. The question is, where are they going to land? What, how yes. are they going to navigate yeah. this tension? That's exactly right. And Erickson argues that generative individuals see beyond themselves, and they're able to use their knowledge and skills to uh, initiate new thoughts, 
open up new venues, make a contribution to society, and to lead a life that may inspire others. I love that. Don't we so, all want that? Oh, my gosh. I think so. And we're waving that flag every day at Growing Leaders. So the big question on this one that I would ask you, um, teachers and educators and parents, are you ready to help your students discover what and who, who they will reserve, uh, mm-hmm. they'll serve? So um, those are the ba- those those that's the foundation for what we're about to talk about uh, in this in this podcast. I love that. What you actually came across um, another leader, another thinker who put this put this in some really good words as to how we might think about. Uh, philosophically what we're actually asking them to do. And I think that's another thing that might actually help uh, set helpful context for how we lead them well this year. Okay, absolutely. So I'll tell you the thoughts that's been going through my mind over and over and over again the last several months as we've been just living a very different life. Uh, I think it all begs the question, is it time to teach philosophy of life to our entire student body? Mm. Now, if you're a principal, I'd love for you to think about that because you have a lot of say in what goes on in your, in your classes at the school. If you're a teacher and you say, well, wait a minute, I teach social studies or I teach literature, I teach math. I'm wondering, is, there, is that a platform that we could go much broader and say, we need to start thinking rightly about the time we're in yeah. and take our place in history and use this pandemic to make us grittier and better yeah. than, oh, I made it, I made it through, I survived, which many of them could default to if we're not leading well. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. You, you always talk about, you said it all before, the interruption leads to the introduction, yeah. but that truly is the mindset. And we're going to repeat this and repeat this and repeat this because it's such a crucial moment for us to get this because it's such a crucial moment for them to get this. And if we lead with this sort of life philosophy, I think it's going to set up our students to be able to succeed this year. Yeah. So um, David Viscott uh, was, he passed away, but he was a great psychiatrist who wrote books And one of his books, in a 1993 volume called Finding Your Strength in Difficult Times, a book of meditations by David Viscott, um, he basically lays out three big ideas. And I'm going to give you these three, okay? So listen closely. The purpose of life, he wrote, is to discover your gift. Mm. What's that central strength or talent or gift that you've got? You probably have several but discover the main one. Yeah. The work of life, he said, is to develop your gift. Yeah. So you got to find it. That's the purpose to develop it then. So if you find you've got a gift, let's say musically and as 12 years old, well at 18 you should have developed that 12-year-old gift to an 18-year-old gift. Yeah. And maybe later to a 25-year-old gift. So we, that's the gift we give back to others is I'm going to develop this. And then lastly, he said the meaning of life is to give your gift away. So rapidly, the purpose of life is to discover your gift. The work of life is to develop that gift. And the meaning of life is to give your gift away. So, Andrew, what we want to do is we want to just kind of break this down in its application for listeners before we sign off today. Absolutely. And this is so important. Can we imagine what... How, how our students would be on the other side of the school year if they really got this. And so, uh, yeah. Tim, I know you've prepared to sort of break this down for us and give us some yeah. step-by-step instructions. And teachers, you're probably thinking, 
is this really what I've yeah. signed up for? <laughs> yeah. You know, but there, this really is so crucial. And I think we, as the educators in the classroom, play such a crucial role in helping our students develop the exact mindset uh, that Viscott was talking about. In that yeah. Quote. Well, you're exactly right. I think the teachers that I could safely say that I met recently that have just thrived in this time, they did broaden their view of themselves yeah. and their job. Yeah. They saw, I've, I've got to be more than. In fact, one teacher just told me in Cleveland, Ohio, I, I feel like I've got to be a surrogate mom. And she meant that as a compliment. She wasn't yeah. down about that. Not taking over she that said, job. She I'm, said, I'm your, yeah. I'm your um, choir mom. She's a choir teacher. I'm your choir mom. Yeah. You know? Okay. And I think they loved it. I think deep down, even if they thought it was cheesy, they thought, thank God I got a mom in here, you know, because yeah, exactly. I need one right now, you yeah. know? Okay, so we've got three big ideas. If you're listening and driving, don't write this down. Keep driving. But I want to give you three big ideas. And then, Andrew, I'd love for your, you to just volley back your thoughts as I share these three ideas. Okay? Sounds great. So idea number one, based on these three big ideas from David Viscott, we've got to know who we are. Yeah. So the, the, the challenge for the teenager, for the student, is to know who you are. Uh, when Martin Luther King Jr. was in his 20s, he met with a mentor named Howard Thurman. You probably have heard of Howard Thurman. King wondered what his role should be in the civil rights movement, and he was just young at the time. Should he merely pastor a church or lead a movement? Thurman helped him by responding, don't just ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive. Because what the world needs are people who are fully alive. Yeah. Isn't that a great statement? I love that. So you're going to scratch an itch if you come become fully alive. So it is both. You've got to look outward and say, what's the need? You don't need to say, I'm going to become an actor if that particular field is flooded with actors. But at the same time, what's my gift inside? How can Absolutely. I purpose that gift and use it well? So Dr. King obviously came fully alive because he led the civil rights movement in the late 50s all the way through most of the 1960s. Um, our world doesn't need anyone seeking celebrity status or massive income. Those may come. We don't need to seek that. Yep. Uh, those should be byproducts of a person who's found a problem and they come alive by using their gifts to solve it. Um, we must help students identify who they are, what their primary strengths are, and then able to enable them to focus on that rather than imitating or comparing themselves to someone else. I just think that's vital. This is task Number one, have them ask and answer what makes them come alive. I love this. Yeah. The part of the role, I think, of an excellent teacher in a classroom, no matter what you teach, is that you are a strength finder, right? Yeah. Um, I've done this several times to interns we've had yeah. and uh, other folks that I've led, is I'll kind of pull them aside after spending some time with them and going, listen, I don't know if anybody's ever told you yeah. this, but did you know that your eyes light up when we talk yeah. about this subject? Yeah. Or did you know that... Uh, the skill you have at your age, at mm -hmm. what you just did there, is actually pretty impressive. I And I'll tell them, I'm not telling you what your strengths are, but this you might want to investigate this. Yeah. This might be an area of your strengths. Yeah. And I think you don't have to stop teaching what you're teaching in order to also play that role. But I think it's just if a teacher would develop that mindset of, of recognizing that and helping their students recognize that, I think it yeah. could really help. I've told this story before, but it's been a while. There was a, a high school student in the Allen Independent School District in Texas that uh, was in a vocational program. He'd shifted over. He was not doing well in traditional classes. He flourished as he became uh, part of the... Um, food service yeah uh and it was it was culinary arts 
And there was a huge banquet that was held in that district. They invited parents and educators to come, and they put the students, they as in the teachers, put the students in charge of the entire banquet. They ran from, everything. Huh? From table setting to cleanup to cooking to service. When the night was over, the kids were sweating as they were serving and cleaning up the tables. And literally, I mean, you could see the sweat beat yeah. up on their brow. But one teacher told me one of her students, the student I was referring to earlier, approached her at the end, and it was probably 11 o'clock at night by this time. Everybody was gone but them. And he, and, and he just looked up at this teacher and smiled from ear to ear with sweat coming down his brow and said, this was the greatest day of my life. Oh, wow. Because he so loved getting to do that. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, that's what you want students to say. Yeah. They found their gift. And, and he... He wants to cook. That's yeah. what he wanted to do. Serve people. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And everything else came okay uh, yeah. because he got to do his gift. Okay, that's that. number one. The second big idea after know who you are is grow who you are. That was the second of David Viscott's things. you got to develop your gift. Yeah. So talent's never enough. Uh, the most valuable human beings, we all know, are the ones who've identified their gift, and then they developed it year after year, mile after mile. Um, ask Michael Jordan, you know, he yeah. was okay in high school, but got cut from the team to, you know, North Carolina, he did quite well. He did all right. Yes, and then the Bulls, oh, oh my God, OMG, six national championships. Yeah. So um, Elon Musk would say the same thing, Oprah Winfrey. Uh, David Viscott, the psychiatrist we talked about, said this, and I quote, you must begin to think of yourself as the person you want to be. I love that. Yeah, I do too. This focus may have little to do with grades, test scores, and genuine learning may be very different than the, I circled letter C on the multiple choice test. Um, this, this is more about grit than grades. Mm. It focuses students, um, it forces students, I think, to quit on the FOMO thing and, and really start saying, I don't care, I'm making progress. Yeah. I don't care where I am right now. Yeah. I, I'm, I care about where I'm, where I'm going, and that's just, that's just huge. So adults have over-indexed, I think, this is my opinion, on protecting kids from failure and just get the A, get the A, whatever it takes, just get an A. And that's not learning necessarily. Yeah. That's, that's a test score. But what if you get the A, but you never learned a thing? You just learned how to, you know, kind of game the test. Yeah. Well, that's not helpful. So... Um, yeah, we've just got to value growth. Absolutely. That's the this is the quintessential straight-A student who gets all the way into a really great university and never learned how to study, right? Yeah. Because they checked all the boxes to get the A's, but they never actually developed the skill of studying, learning, pushing themselves, those kinds of things. So, yeah, yeah are we focused beyond just did they check the boxes and get the grades, but are we also asking did they learn anything? Did they grow in any way? Personal growth is such a key element of, of success in life. Yeah, it is. So the last big idea from David Viscott that I have turned into my own words. So the, the first two, of course, are know who you are and then grow who you are. The third one, quite simply, is sow who you are, mm. like sowing in a garden. If we can teach Generation Z students that life isn't about consumption, but about contribution, we may turn a corner on the narcissism epidemic that Dr. Gene Twenge's data seems to reveal. Yeah. I don't think these are bad kids at all. Nope. In fact, every teenager, including myself, was a little bit into himself. You know, what natural we part of the process. Yeah, that's yeah. right. But as consumers, they naturally learn to accumulate. We need to intentionally teach them to generate, and that's what Viscott talks about, and what Eric Erickson talks about, uh, and then to be generous with what they generate. Uh, famed billionaire Richard Branson, we've all heard about him. He's terribly rich right now. 
uh, said he never once started one of his 400 companies to make a profit, not mm. once, and yet he did, yeah. okay? Uh, starting at 16 years old, he became a serial entrepreneur and now owns the Virgin Group and Virgin Records, Virgin Atlantic, Virgin Galactic, um, 400 companies, and most of them have the word virgin mm -hmm. in the title. And by the way, the reason they called it virgin in the very beginning, he was with a bunch of other young classmates when he started this, and they go, what should we call ourselves? And they go, well, since it's our first time doing this, let's call ourselves virgin. You know, ha, ha, ha. Well, the name stuck. Wow. I'm a virgin entrepreneur. I'm still figuring out what the heck I'm doing here. But I love that spirit. That was, pardon me, that was the American spirit in the very beginning of our country. Yeah. Let's try to build a country. Yeah. Well, we did. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Want to make a great comeback, listeners, from the setback of COVID-19? I think we're going to benefit from instilling a philosophy into our days where everyone responds to the, to the hour we're in. And we find ourselves by knowing, growing, and sowing what's inside of us for the sake of others, starting with you and, of course, your students as well. Absolutely. So, I mean, we've talked about this. Obviously, I mean, somebody listening to this could be going, okay, that actually sounds really great. Maybe these are statements I can put up on the wall and just constantly yeah. remind my students of. Maybe there's some uh, roles going on. But I think you want to take it a step further, yeah. right, and, and even present teachers with some challenging questions we can think about in our yeah. own leadership this year. Yep. So I've got seven questions I want you to ponder, listeners, as we kind of close out. As each day begins, I encourage you to ask yourself these questions. One, do I see my students as human beings and connect with them holistically, or are they just math students? Yeah. Number two, do I consider other influencing factors in their lives when I begin the class period, yeah. or are they just a math student? Yeah. Number three, can I come across positively and relay high belief and expectations in my students? That's huge. It is. Number four, Will I focus on the most important priorities and not sweat the small stuff? That's a big one for me. Five, can I think long-term and make decisions in the best interest of students' future? Mm. Six, do I lead the learning experience with a greater purpose in mind besides grades? Yeah. And then lastly, number seven, how will I condition everyone to be interdependent contributors to the experience. I love that. I love that. Well, all of those are questions that I think if we can begin to challenge ourselves the, with those, in fact, I would challenge you guys, at least think of one of those questions, if not all of them, uh, and begin to ask them to yourself each day just to keep you focused on yeah. what are we doing here, what's the big picture, yeah. uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, I know you want to close out with, yep. a, uh, with a story, so I'll just let you go on that. But one uh, person that we all know right, yep. Yep. Uh, was such a great embodiment of all the things we've been talking about. So listeners, this is going to seem really random, but this picture may get stuck in your mind like it did me. Um, I was an art minor in college, and we studied paintings and sculptures and so forth. But Pablo Picasso is now an, a famous painter from the 20th century. Yes. We all know his name. Uh, he passed away not that long ago, I mean, in terms of art history. Yeah. But he was a unique individual, not just as a sculptor, sketcher, and painter, but as a person. I don't know if you know this. He wasn't just about creating works of art, but teaching a philosophy of life to anyone who would listen. Mm. Yeah. So you might say he was an artist with a mission. And I love the fact that way before David Viscott, the psychiatrist, gave us those three big ideas, he first started visiting these ideas in his own life. So his mantra was actually twofold, not threefold. But here was his mantra. What gives life purpose 
to find your gift. What gives life meaning to give it away? Mm. Can I say that again? What gives life purpose to find your gift? What gives life meaning to give it away? Simple and profound. And while I realize some would say these two statements are incomplete because they exclude some features like spiritual life or whatever, I still like how Picasso simplified what to do, what to focus on in a career. Now, let me tell you why I share this and why I think he's such an embodiment, uh, embodiment of it. Uh, as, I, I, as I think about his long lifetime, which was 1881 to 1973. Wow. I was a teenager when he passed away. Pablo created an estimated 50,000 pieces of art, including 1,885 paintings, 1,228 sculptures, 2,280 ceramics, and roughly 12,000 drawings with thousands of other prints, tapestries, and rugs. So his career lasted 70 years, which meant, when I do the math, he averaged two pieces of art per day. Wow. Pregnant pause. Two a day. So this artist said, I not only believe the purpose of life is to find my gift, the meaning of life is to give it away, I'm going to give it away. Two a day. And of course, by late life, he's selling his art for thousands of dollars. He, he did okay. And, and had, uh, posthumously, he's done even better. I mean, his artwork is now ridiculously yeah. expensive. But he practiced what he preached. He pre and, and teachers, hear what I say to you. Let's practice what we preach. Let's believe these three things we talked about. Let's embody them, and then let's teach them to our students. I love that. What a great example of what this could look like. Well, we're big believers uh, that this philosophy of life, this way of looking at things, is ultimately a mindset and a series of actions that we can take. And if you're looking for ways to kind of get beyond just telling a story or, or, or maybe following these three statements that we uh, discussed with you, uh, and you're looking for a process to actually build this perspective and some of these really good habits uh, into your students, we uh, have a tool that we're big believers in. We simply call it Habitudes. Uh, Habitudes, especially if you start with Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning, is uh, all about images. In fact, we use pictures and images and metaphors to teach really important life concepts, very very similar to the ones that we've been talking about today. So if you'd be interested in using uh, imagery in order to communicate these really important uh, life skills and life ideas, we want to encourage you to head on over to growingleaders.com slash SEL, and you can find out all about our Habitudes program. We have Habitudes for Social Emotional Learning High School Edition and Middle School Edition, so no matter who you're leading, you can use this uh, really great content for them. If you would, rate our podcast, give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. That will get the word out about what we're doing here. And if you found this particularly helpful, share it with somebody you know. Pass it along to a friend. Um, if you want to connect with us online, uh, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore on pretty much every social media site you're on. And then finally, if you've got ideas for this podcast, whether it's stuff you want us to talk about or maybe somebody you want us, you think we should interview, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those. Well, Tim, thank you so much for leading us. Thank you guys for leading the next generation, and we'll see you next time.